You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Our God, as we turn to your word now, we pray that you would be our teacher and that we would be the willing learners. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've chosen this this book of uh, Jonah because it's quite compact. Actually, I would encourage you this afternoon, take 10 minutes and you could read through this book, four chapters. And, and, and I would encourage you to read it regularly over the next few weeks. It's a great book. It's, it's one of those great stories where there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. I love stories like that. There are, there are things that come on television, so-called dramas or movies, and there's neither a beginning nor a middle nor an end, and you don't know what it was about. But with Jonah, you do, and, and it's a great book. So come back tonight for the second part, and you see if there's nobody here tonight, I'll take the hint. Anyway, the way I want to deal with this, by way of an introduction to this book, is I want to ask a number of questions of the book. And the most obvious and basic question that we need to ask is, who was Jonah? Who was Jonah? From uh, 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, we learn that he was was a prophet of the Lord, a servant and prophet of the Lord. Now, that's no mean title. Imagine to be called a servant and prophet of the Lord. There there are all kinds of titles given out in our society, but to be called a servant and a prophet of the Lord, well, that's what Jonah was. His name means dove, D-O-V-E. If it was an expression of his nature, then perhaps this is one reason why he fled from wicked Nineveh. He was the son of Amittai, but his father's name is shrouded in obscurity and really doesn't shed any light on Jonah. All great men don't spring from great parents. A tinker may die without any people noticing it, but the name of John Bunyan will be held in everlasting remembrance. So where we come from doesn't really matter that much. Jonah was the author of this book, which bears his name. Now, that maybe seems like stating the obvious, but I think it's really important to keep this in mind. Jonah was the author of this book. Isn't it very interesting, the revelation that he himself gives of his own faults and follies? Jonah wrote these words. Jonah tells this story, and he doesn't gloss his part of it over. He writes here a picture of himself, warts and all. So don't condemn him too severely for being a runaway prophet. For we never would have known about the fact that he was a runaway prophet if he himself had not sat down and recorded it for us. Wouldn't it be an interesting exercise for each of us to write down our faults and failures as Jonah did? Now, there are people I know who keep a journal, who keep a record of what happens to them every day, but that's different 
than keeping a record of your faults and failings. Think about it. If you recorded it all, wrote it all down, and, and you know, didn't try to gloss over anything or put yourself in a good light, just put it down boldly. Your faults and your feelings. It would be humbling, I would say. I'm sure if we did do that, our record would be worse than his. Would you dare to do it? Here's an interesting thought. It's being recorded for you anyway. Every wrong thing you've ever done, every wrong word you've ever uttered, every wrong motive or thought that's passed through your mind, all of it is being recorded without fail. There's no glossing over. It's clear that in writing this book, Jonah is not seeking his own glory. No man can be a prophet of God and do that. So that's who, that's who Jonah was. Here's another question. When did he live? It's important that we put Jonah's life in the context, you know, of, of the history of Israel. Jonah was raised up by God to preach at a critical time in the history of Israel, the covenant people of God. And to grasp this, we need to cast our minds back some 3,000 years to try to catch something of the flavor of the time. Solomon, you remember King Solomon? There was King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. Solomon was the third and last king of the United Nation of Israel. And Solomon died 981 BC. After Solomon, his kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The centuries that followed were times of terrible spiritual and moral decline. There were unending wars and rumors of wars. Both kingdoms more and more became decadent and turned from the revealed will of God. And into this desperate situation, the Lord sent a succession of prophets to declare his will afresh and call his people back to himself. To Israel, he sent Elijah, then Elisha, and after them, Jonah and Amos and Hosea. Outside Israel at that time, the greatest power of the day was Assyria, which would be the scourge of God or the judgment of God upon his wayward people. <clears throat> Other prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, all would be sent to Judah. And another foreign power outside Judah, Babylon, would in due course take Judah into exile. Israel was carried into exile by Assyria. Judah was carried into exile by Babylon uh, about a hundred years later. Our concern then in these studies is with Jonah and therefore with the northern kingdom of Israel and her superpower neighbor of Assyria. Now we don't know when 
Jonah began his ministry, it seems certain that he was active in the reign of Jeroboam II, who ruled Israel from 784 to 753. That is about 150 years after the death of Solomon. Jonah referred, is referred to in that account of Jeroboam II, 2 Kings 14, 25 to 27. So, that's setting him in the context, but it suggests very strongly that Jonah was well established as a prophet. When, when God's call comes to Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's not an apprentice a pro prophet. He's not a novice prophet. He's a well-seasoned prophet whenever the call comes to him. Jonah was serving God for years before this call comes to him. And it was at this point in history that God chose Jonah to go to Nineveh the capital city of Assyria, which in that time was the greatest city in the world. In sending Jonah to the heathen Ninevites, God would show his grace to them, and that would in turn be a witness to the prosperous but ungrateful and unfaithful covenant people of Israel. So we've looked at who Jonah was. We've looked at when he lived. He lived basically a, a hanger to hang it on about 150 years after King Solomon. Third question we want to ask, what was he called to do? Well, we read it there at the beginning of the chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and I want you to preach against it. It was a sudden and a startling call to him. But I suppose in a sense, all of God's calls are sudden. But I want you to look at the city that he was called to. He was called to a city that was at this time a thousand years old. It was the greatest city in the strongest, strongest monarchy in the world. We, we, we sometimes read the Bible and we read about these cities and we think, you know, they're just mud huts. They're just a collection, you know, of mud huts and, and they're not really that sophisticated. This city was 60 miles in circumference. It contained streets and avenues 20 miles long. The walls around the city were a hundred feet high. Now you think about that. In those days, building a wall a hundred feet high, there was no hydraulics, there was no JCBs. How'd they do it? Not only that, that wall was made so that three chariots could be drawn side by side around it. It was like the M25 around this. It was absolutely huge. Its population would have been at least 600,000. But it also was great in another detail. It was great in its wickedness. Its wickedness had, had risen up to God, as it were. It had climbed to the very throne of God. 
And God saw everything that was going on in that city. He saw their open sins, and he saw their secret sins, and he saw their shamelessness. And it's exactly the same today. Exactly the same today. We've just had the results of, uh, you know, uh, the count of everybody in the province. And there's now, is it, it's nearly 2 million, it's 1.9 million or something like that lives in this province. And God knows everything about the people who live in this province. He knows all about the secret sins of our modern society. He knows all about the open sins of our modern society. He knows about the shamelessness of our modern society. And our sins, our sins, your sins and mine, cry out to the ears of God louder than the roar of the traffic in the streets. Think of it, men and women. Every unforgiven sin is a voice crying to heaven for judgment. Nothing can silence that cry but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now think of Jonah's task. He was to go and preach against it. Go and preach against it. Sharing with the people in La Comfort. My home congregation that I was brought up in was Killymorris. It's about half, well, not quite, nearer Ballymena than Ballymoney, but it's just off the Ballymena Ballymoney line, A26. And my minister, uh, when I was growing up, was Mr. Lamont, and he was there for 40 years. And I remember at the end of his life, uh, I, I remember someone saying about him, you know, what I remember about Mr. Lamont is, that he was against, that, that he, you know, he always preached about sin and that he was against it. And I thought that was a great epitaph, actually. He was against sin. And he spoke against it. And he preached against it. And that's what, that's what the prophet Jonah is called to do here, to preach against sin. What a task. One individual standing against a raging torrent of evil in, in a society. But, but the prophet was not to be concerned about success at all. He was simply to obey the call and to leave the consequences with God. And you know, that's the thing that encourages me to get back into a pulpit again and again and again. That, that the results are nothing to do with me. My responsibility as a preacher is to preach the word and to leave the consequences with God. Your responsibility as a Christian is to be a witness for the Lord and to leave the consequences with God. Do you remember, do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He says, you are my witnesses. You, just where you are, you in your small corner and I in mine. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And all of us need to be involved in that. It's something for every witness of God in every generation to cry out against the evil of their day. And how sad that our generation is cursed with dumb Christians. Wasn't it Edmund Burke who said, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. 
Evil flourishes when good men do nothing. There there are numerous things that we could think about that that have reared their ugly head in our society. And where have the voices been against it? The only voices that have come against them have come from the church of Jesus Christ. Same-sex marriage. Abortion. I mean, to think that that has been been thrust upon us against our will. And and the, the only people speaking against it are Christians. But the sad thing is that government isn't remotely interested in the church. It's an irrelevance as far as the church is, as far as the government is concerned. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't protest against it, that we shouldn't speak out. There's evil in our society, and we're called to preach against it, to speak against it. Oh, that all God's people would cry out against sin, preach against it. Now, maybe you say to me, if you speak against it, people would mock you. Well, better to be mocked for your faithfulness than mocked for your cowardice. What he was called to do. And then finally, what did he do? He was called to go to Nineveh and preach against it. What did he do? He disobeyed. He disobeyed. Now remember, this is Jonah is writing this. Jonah is recording this. This is what he did. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish, or he tried to. And and that is in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here today, and you've treated the call of God in exactly the same way. Maybe you're a Christian. And years ago, you sensed that God was calling you to do something. He was calling you to trust him, to go in a certain direction. And you didn't do it. You ran away. Maybe I'm speaking to someone who's a believer, and even at this very minute, God has his hand upon you, and he is impressing upon you that he wants you to do something, that he wants you maybe to leave what you're doing and to do something completely different for him. We need men for the ministry. Is God speaking to anybody? It's important. It's important that we're open to the call of God that we're listening to God's call. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you've heard the Word of God again and again, and, and you know that God has been calling you to leave your sin and to follow Him. And what you have done is you have clung to your sin and you've fled from Him. But maybe today, again, God is calling you to trust him. To trust him with your life. 
inviting you to follow him. Maybe he has got a great work for you to do. Just this past week, I met with a colleague who's also retired, and we're just reminiscing as we, as retired people tend to do when they get together. You know, and I, I remember saying to him about the time I was wrestling with the call of God to go into the ministry. And, and the thing that motivated me most of all was I didn't want to get to the end of my life and regret, have regrets that I didn't follow through with God. And I have many regrets in my life, many, but I don't regret this, that I obeyed his call because it has been the most wonderful adventure. It really has. And, and I would argue from the moment I was converted, it has been a wonderful adventure. Before I was converted, you know, I used to say with other people, look, I'm bored. I'm bored. What is there to do? From when I was converted, I've never been bored. Never been bored. I know why I'm here, and I know where I'm going. Is God calling you to leave your sin and to flee to him? Jonah was displeased with what God asked him to do and, and as it were, sent in his resignation as a prophet. You know, it's much easier to resign than to face a stern difficulty. It's easy to refuse to hear the word of God on a Sunday when the heart and mind are occupied with worldly things. Jonah, we see here, was on the downgrade to shame and confusion. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And if you're trying to shake yourself clear of God's call to repentance and faith, then you are on the downgrade to spiritual desolation. Think of it. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Imagine. Imagine how anybody in their right mind would flee from the presence of the Lord who only wants to do them good, who only wants to bless them, Why do they flee? Well, because the presence of the Lord is intolerable to our rebel will. And it's because of this that there's a day coming when men will cry on the rocks to fall on them and hide them from his presence. Just now, God is maybe calling you to arise and flee to Christ rather than flee to the world. Well, after Jonah ran away, we're told he paid his fare. But Jonah paid more than he bargained for, didn't he? If you read the rest of the story, you'll see that. Tell me, have you ever considered how much you have to pay to go from the presence of God to the land of godlessness? You know, God, the Lord Jesus, you remember, told us that, that we ought to weigh up the price of following him. He talked about an army going out to fight a battle. Sit down and consider the cost. Build a house, sit down and consider the cost. And there's a cost to following the Lord Jesus. Make no mistake about it. 
Jesus said that uh, anybody comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Saying no to self is, is hard. Of course there's a cost. Have you ever considered the cost of not following him? Well, the price to be paid is much, much greater because it involves a lost eternity, an eternity of God-forsakenness that never ends, suffering that never ends. Jesus, on one occasion, with this will finish. He says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What's he saying? Look, if you got it all, everything that the world had to offer and lost your soul, do you think that would be a good bargain? Of course it wouldn't. It would be an atrocious... It wouldn't be a bargain at all. It would be awful. So learn from Jonah. This is recorded. Jonah has this recorded here so that we might learn from his mistakes. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Such a momentous event should not be taken for granted. Shortly after Jonah's day, another prophet predicted a famine, not a famine of bread or of water, but a famine of hearing the word of God. Amos 8 verse 11 talks about that. And I tell you, that's what I see around us today, a famine of the hearing of the word of God, not a famine of the preaching of the word of God. There's still, thank God, plenty of preaching of the gospel, but there's a famine of hearing it. It would be far better to starve to death with your heart filled with the word of God than to be stuffed with food and be empty in your soul. Jonah was privileged beyond measure because the word of God came to him. But you and I are even more privileged, do you know that? You know from the incarnate word of God, the Lord Jesus himself, where to find salvation and how to live your life. We have the whole canon of scripture. Jonah didn't. You and I are without excuse. So let's make sure that we don't run away from God, but we run towards him and embrace him and all that he offers to us. Well, we'll take it up tonight this evening at our evening service. Let's pray. Thank you.